Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Mel Robbins. Mel has spent the past decade coaching, teaching, and motivating millions of people around the world. Her practical, no-nonsense advice and life strategies provide tangible results and skills that can help us all push through the everyday challenges we all face in life, work, and even love. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. I am so proud to be able to look in the monitor and see my friend in her pink jacket. She is, you are just leaping, leaping. I am. I, if I could, if I could bounce through this screen and give you a hug, I would do it. (laughs) Me too, Mel. Well, let's get right to it. COVID has changed the way women work and it has impacted us in so many ways. What can we do to ensure that we are seen and heard? You're not going to get paid or promoted unless people know what you're doing. So I'm going to say that another way. Women forever, we have been so good at putting our heads down and getting our jobs done. We have been so good at taking care of everything for everyone. It's like in our DNA. And I know that you're outworking everybody. I know that you're burning the candle at both ends. And I know that many of you feel like, oh, I'm not getting acknowledged or, oh, I don't know how to say no or, oh, why do I keep getting passed over? How do I position myself? I'm going to tell you the single piece of research that you need to know. You only get paid or promoted for visible contributions. If your work is not visible, you will not make more money. You will not get promoted. You will not get the things that you deserve because companies don't pay you more and they don't promote you because they like you or because you're a good person or because you work hard. They pay you more and they promote you because they know what your contributions are. And so one of the interesting opportunities of this moment in time is it gives you a chance to think very deliberately about how you're marketing your work. Does your boss know what you're working on? Does your boss know what you're contributing? Do the people above your boss know the things that you are contributing? So this is an opportunity that's going to force you, particularly those of you that are introverted, those of you that are uncomfortable kind of, I'm not talking about like, you know, flapping your wings and bragging about what you're doing. I'm talking about packaging your work and making sure that your contributions are visible so that they're recognized. But the people that are going to make it through this are the ones who are indispensable. And what does that mean? It means answer this question for yourself. You ready, Tiffany? Yes. Do you make your boss's life easier? Are you the first person that comes to mind when your boss has something that they know needs to get done? Are you the first person that comes to mind because your boss can count on you? Because you not only get it done, and here's the most important part, and this took me so long to figure out, you're ready, everybody. You tell them you got it done. You see, what most of us don't realize is that if your boss doesn't know what you're working on, they assume you're not doing it. How many of you have ever been in that irritating situation where you're getting everything done, but your boss swoops back in and micromanages you or checks back in and you're like, yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. I've worked for people like that, and you know what? I've become a person like that. And what I've realized is most bosses are so busy with their own stuff 
that they forgot what they asked you to work on and they live inside what I call an information gap. And the information gap is, I know in some meeting somewhere, I told somebody to do something, but I can't remember who it was and what's going on. And so they say it, they go about their business and meetings and doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, a week later, it's like, who edited that video? Did anybody do this? And you're like, dude, I'm offended. Why, 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 why are you doubting me? It has nothing to do with you, by the way. You know what it tells you if you work for a, a boss that does this? Is you're not managing your visibility because your boss doesn't have any idea that something got done. And that's not on your boss, that's on you. And it's a huge opportunity. What you need to manage is this. Make sure that you always speak on a video conference because it's a very visible place. And if you're somebody who feels uncomfortable, because maybe you've got the kind of job where you've got your team and you got, you've been off doing your thing and you're not normally in a lot of meetings with people and now suddenly you're on a Zoom parade all day long. You've got to force yourself to speak. And the reason why is meetings are super visible. And if you're uncomfortable speaking, the best thing to do is piggyback off of somebody else. And here's another piece of tip. Get your, get your pencils out. I want you to write this word down. Strategy. Strategy, strategy, strategy. I'm going to tell you how to piggyback plus strategy in order to raise your visibility. And this is based on research. Here we go. By saying the word strategy and strategic in meetings, this is really annoying, but this is based on the research. They coached women in Fortune 500 companies to use the word strategy in vis visible settings and in one-on-one -on -one meetings with the you know, folks above them. And what they found is that after coaching women to use the word strategy and strategic in visible settings, what happened is over the course of a year, when the annual review came up, the marks for you being a strategic contributor went up by 30% simply because you use the word strategy and strategic. People only know what they see, what they hear, and what they read. And so be mindful about showing up to these video conferences on time and making sure you speak and you use the word strategy. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to take on a practice where I want you to, again, I'm going to come back to the thing I told you. Are you invaluable to the person you report to? Do you make their life easier? Here's how you can do that. When you check in every Monday morning, what can I do for you to make your life easier? What's your top strategic objective this week that you want me to focus on? So you position yourself as the problem solver, as somebody that can help. And if you already have a huge workload, great, no problem. What can I do for you this week to make your life easier? What's the strategic objective this week that I can help you out with? As soon as he or she tells you what it is and you say, great, here's the other 11 things on my plate. You're now marketing your work. Tell me which things should drop to the bottom so that I can help you out with this thing that's really going to make your life easier. Boom. Wow. We just had a moment of visibility. Now what do you do? At the end of the week, Send an email saying, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Now your boss, if your boss gets a check-in from you every week about the status of what you, is on your plate and where things are, they will never micromanage you again because you have just closed the information gap with one email. 
I'm telling you what, I used to hate it when my bosses would micromanage me. And then I, when I became a boss, I lived in the information gap and I realized that's all that it is. I just don't know. And I don't have all the time in the day to check in. So when the people that work for me, they're all now trained to bubble up information because that keeps Mel Robbins off their back. We'll get back to Mel in just a minute. I want to remind you about our final event of the year, the Quad Cities Conference, coming up on November 10th with Carla Harris, Dr. Steve Robbins, Lori Frecking, Michelle Poehler, and Sarah Stevens. You know, Mel, you know us. You talked about you have ag in your family. We're just Midwest, modest, you know, from a very early age. You know, we're told to sort of be seen and not heard. I mean, talking about ourselves is really tough. You gave us some pretty tactical things, but what would you tell someone who finds it particularly difficult? I grew up in Western Michigan, so I'm a Midwestern gal. I come from a very long ag family, Angus cattle farmers in upstate New York. And so I get it. But if you're not willing to market what you're doing, then you're giving up the right to complain that you're not getting paid what you deserve and that you're getting passed over. Because again, I'm not going to talk about what's right or who's right. The fact is you're going to get paid and promoted for the contributions that they know about. And everybody on the planet is so busy that they don't know the long extent of things that you're doing. And so if you choose not to push through this discomfort, then I can't guarantee that the people that you work for are going to see what you're doing behind the scenes and in the dark and in your office and actually pay you what you deserve for it. But here's a tool that you can use. I'm going to explain what the five second rule is because it will help you push yourself through uncomfortable feelings so that you can make the behavior changes that allow you to achieve what you dream about and achieve your goals. And there is no growth without discomfort. Growth doesn't work that way. And what I want to say about the five second rule is it's really interesting that I'm talking about it during this pandemic because I created the five second rule during the last recession. So during the last recession, when the, the housing market bottomed out, it was 2007, I found myself in a situation that I never thought I would be in, Tiffany. I was 41 years old. My husband and I have three children, and they were really young at the time. And my husband had gone into the restaurant business. And the first restaurant, it was a little pizza joint, was uh, pretty successful. And so we cashed out our 401k. We cashed out the kids' college savings. We took out a home equity line. We shoved it all into that restaurant business because what could possibly go wrong? I mean, you know, you got one successful one. That means they're all going to work. <laughs> I can feel you all cringing right now, even though I could start that computer. Because <laughs> of course, what happened is the second location was a bust. As the second location went under, it took all the money for the third location that we had signed the lease for. And at that point, I lost my job. And we found ourselves, Tiffany, in 2008, uh, $800,000 in debt. The car is about to be repossessed. The bankruptcy letter is arriving. I thought we were going to lose the house. I couldn't pay for groceries. We had to pull my kid, our kids from town soccer because we couldn't afford the 100 buck, you know, fee to keep them in it. I mean, it was devastating. And um, being a functioning adult 
I uh, coped with it in the only way that I knew how. I became, I, I started drinking a, a lot and screaming at my husband. I was on the verge of losing everything. And so as positive and optimistic of a person that I am, because it's a strategy that I believe gets you through life, I am not here to try to put icing on a uh, cake made out of cow dung. I have lived the nightmare where you're on the verge of losing everything. I have suffered the anxiety that comes from being unemployed and so in debt that you can't buy groceries. I have felt the crushing weight of anxiety and depression so heavy that I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I became that person whose kids miss the bus every day. I'd show up late, forget their lunches. I, I, I was drinking heavily. It was horrible. And it was when I hit rock bottom. And the thing about rock bottom that's interesting is you don't rock and thud. You usually rock and bounce. And it's from rock bottom that you bounce back. And that's when I invented the five second rule. Now, what is the five second rule? Well, let me tell you the story about how I invented it. I was watching television one night. It was a Tuesday in February. I was giving myself this pep talk like, okay, I got to stop screaming at Chris. I got to find a job. I got to stop drinking. I got to exercise. You know, I got to be, I got to be nice to these kids. And for crying out loud, when that alarm rings tomorrow morning, I have got to get my rear end out of bed. And then all of a sudden, I see this rocket ship launch across the television screen. Honest to God, that's what happened. And I, I had this epiphany. I thought, holy cow, that's the answer to getting up when the alarm rings. I got to launch myself out of bed like a rocket ship. I got to move so fast, Tiffany, that I move faster than the anxiety, depression, and fear that was weighing me down like a weighted blanket every morning. And look, it could have been the four Manhattans I had had that night that gave me that idea because it sounds kind of stupid, right? But for whatever reason, I'll never forget it. The next morning, the alarm went off. That's what happened. And I want to explain something to everybody. I say all the time, you're one decision away from a different life. And the reason why is I study and I'm an expert in how human beings change. And all human beings change the exact same way. Whether you are changing your habit of staying silent in a meeting or you're changing your habit of uh, reaching for the glass of wine to cope, or you're changing your habit of snapping at the kids, all change takes place in a five-second window. That's it. There is the moment where you know what you should do, and then instead of doing what you should do, this five-second moment of hesitation opens up. And inside that five-second moment of hesitation where you think about what you should do, comes your feelings and your anxiety and your habits and your depression and your anger and your emotions and your fatigue. It all comes in this five second window. And within five seconds, instead of doing what you know you should do, you got to go to the gym. You got to speak up in this meeting. You got to stop snapping at everybody. You've got to put down the burrito and pick up the salad, whatever the heck it is. Within this five second window, your feelings come in and you immediately go, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. And you start doing the thing that sabotages your health, your marriage, your sanity, all of it. And if you can master this five second window, you can change anything in your life because all change is the same. And so that, that morning the alarm goes off, right? And that was the moment I immediately remembered that dumb countdown thing. 
And then the five second window of hesitation opens up and I start thinking, do I want to get up? I don't want to get up. It's cold. What am I going to do anyway? I don't feel like it. I feel kind of hungover. What good is it going to do anyway? You know, blah, 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 blah. And I could feel myself reaching for the snooze button. And then I did something I had never done before. I started counting backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. All of a sudden I stood up. Weird. The next morning, same thing. Alarm goes off. I know I should get out of bed. I don't feel like it. The sheets are warm. This is great. What good is it going to do anyway? Five, four, three, two, one. I'm up again. Next morning, same thing. Alarm goes off. I should get up. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I think I'm five, four, three, two, one. I'm up again. That third morning, I made a, a, a bargain with myself. I said, all right, I don't know what this is going to do, but I know I got to try it. If any moment today, I know there's something I should do, but I don't feel like it. I'm going to count backwards, five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to see what happens. So the first moment I used it, I walked into the kitchen. I see my husband. He's got the fridge open. He's looking for breakfast. And I immediately am like, <laughs> you know, like, because, you know, how many of us have not had that moment where you see the person that you love and you just want to kill them, uh, especially when you've been quarantined together for a while. So here's the thing, though. I, I didn't want to kill the guy. I knew he didn't intentionally try to not be successful. I knew it wasn't all his fault. It's just, it's so much easier to be angry than it is to be afraid. And that's a really important takeaway for this moment of time. You're going to feel all of this emotion rise up every day about what you see in the news, about the decisions you see people making or not, about how you feel about the situation. And it's easier to feel frustrated and angry than it is to feel afraid and sad. And if you don't get the self-awareness to realize that you lash out, but underneath it is something deeper that you're scared to feel, the loss that you're feeling right now, the sadness, the fear, it will eat you alive. And so seeing Chris and I'm about to lash out, I just started counting backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and something weird happened. As you start to count, your emotional temperature starts to lower. And I could speak to the guy from a place of my values instead of being so triggered. I see my sneakers. Now, every, you don't need to have a PhD to know that exercise is something we all need to do to help ourselves emotionally, right? It's good for you, particularly in times of stress. But who the hell wants to do it in February? I mean, come, five, four, three, two, one, I'm out the door. I see the phone. I need a job, but like a lot of you who don't want to speak in meetings, I hate talking to people. I hate networking. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm picking up the phone, and I'll be darned, Tiffany. I started using this countdown thing, and I, my whole life changed because I had a tool. That's the thing. It's a tool. It's not something you think about. It's something you do to push myself through the fear and anxiety and laziness or procrastination that was holding me back, and I changed my whole life. I mean, I got a job. I stopped snapping at Chris. I put down the alcohol and started drinking responsibly. Chris started using 54321. They walked into landlords and renegotiated leases. They started restructuring their business. Our whole life changed. And you know, the truth is everybody, I never intended to tell anybody about the five second rule because it sounds really dumb. I mean, come on, you want, you guys want to get paid more count to five. The, the Zoom's over. I'll see you later. But what happened is my whole life turned around. And then in 2011, somebody asked me if I'd give a speech about career change. And so I go and I give one of these TEDx talks. And if you want to know what a 21 minute long panic attack looks like, just watch my TEDx talk. You'll notice if you zoom in that I get a neck rash about a minute into it. 
And by minute 19, I totally forget how to end the speech. You see, Tiffany, that was the first time I'd ever been on a stage giving a speech. I had a freaking panic attack. I wasn't even going to talk about the five second rule, but I forgot how to end the speech. And so <laughs> I say, you know, in the speech, uh, 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 oh, there's a thing I do. I call it the five second rule. You got to move within five seconds or your brain kills it. Thank you very much. And I leave. So what happens is a year later, somebody puts that thing online. And then a year after that, it's gotten a million views. This is now 2013 and people start to call me to speak about it. And so I start to say yes. I had no idea that normal people got paid to speak for a living. By this point, I'd been using the five second rule for five years. I had a great job working for CNN and I had benefits and my husband had gone on to pull the restaurant business out of the uh, ashes and open another six jo pizza joints. Her family was doing okay. We were starting to be able to chip away at that $800,000 in debt. Life was pretty good. Th that TEDx talk just kept going and going and going. And what happened is, this is what happened, honest to God. And I got to be honest with everybody. I don't know what you believe in spiritually, but I really do have this massive faith that whatever it is, that you're facing right now. It is preparing you for something you can't see yet. That in this moment of uncertainty, you're gonna meet somebody, you're gonna learn something, or you're gonna gain experience that is preparing you for the next chapter of your life. You can't see it, and if you hold that faith, it helps me so much with my own anxiety to just trust that this is all preparing me for something even greater that I can't see yet. I learned something new every time I talk to Mel. We'll get back to her in just a second. The Women Lead Change store is now open. We've got shirts, books, drinkware, and much more to come at wlcstore.myshopify.com. People started to write to me, Tiffany, and... They were writing from around the world about this five-second rule. Mel, I've used the five-second rule to lose 200 pounds. I've used it to triple my income. I've used it to be more visible at work and speak in meetings and ask for the money that I deserve. Mel, I've used it to launch a business. Mel, I've used it to reconcile with my father. Mel, I used it to leave a, a marriage with a narcissist. Mel, I use it to reprogram the triggers related to PTSD. We even know of more than 100 people who have stopped themselves from committing suicide because they have counted five, four, three, two, one. We know of psychiatric nurses that are teaching the five second rule using my free YouTube videos in patient facilities for people who are in lockdown for mental health uh, issues, either highs or lows. And what these nurses report to me is that when you leave a facility like that and you are stabilized, they hand you all this information. The one thing people use over and over again to come back to being in control, the five-second rule, five, four, three, two, one. So I ended up self-publishing a book, and what I'm really proud of is I've self-published the five-second rule book, and behind me is a little humble brag. This book has been translated into 32 languages. Now, you are looking at a dyslexic, anxiety-ridden woman with ADD. If I can do it, you can do it. And here's what I use the five second rule for that has been the most profound for me. I have had a 25 year battle with anxiety. It started when I was a teenager. 
It uh, escalated when I went to college. I started taking Zoloft when I was 21 years old. It saved my life. It quieted the noise. The only time I stopped taking Zoloft was when our now 21-year-old daughter was born, and I had such severe postpartum depression during uh, the postpartum that I couldn't be left alone during the first eight weeks because the postpartum was so severe. That's how scary it was. So when I talk about anxiety, when I talk about self-doubt and the way we torture ourselves mentally, I've lived this nightmare, and I do not take this lightly. And when the five-second rule started to spread around the world and people are writing about profound things, pediatricians saying this is working in consults with kids with anxiety and veterans organizations saying this is helping us with other therapies uh, to help vets with their PTSD deprogramming in terms of the triggers, I said, I got to do something about my own head. And so I started using the five-second rule to interrupt the negative thoughts that dominated my mind. And you can do it too. Here's how you start to do it. When a negative thought enters your mind, particularly right now because everybody's feeling anxious, and you start forecasting fear, do not allow that. Zero tolerance zone. You're going to use the five-second rule to interrupt it. Five, four, three, two, one. Here's the science of what's happening. Fear, anxiety, depression, procrastination, every over emotional eating, it's all stored right here. It's a habit loop. You do it without even realizing you're doing it. You worry so much, you're anxious so much, you don't even think about it. What we want to do is interrupt the patterns that are right here. So when you count five, four, three, two, one, it requires focus. This is your prefrontal cortex. This is the part of the brain that you use when you're in control, when you're learning new behavior, when you're acting with courage. The five-second rule is just a little brain hack. It's called metacognition. In habit research, it's classified as a starting ritual. It interrupts patterns, habits, five, four, three, two, one, and it starts new behavior. And so you awaken your prefrontal cortex with it. And so the way you're going to use it to manage your anxiety right now, you ready? It is too easy to drift into negativity. And once you drift into negativity and worry, you're going to ruminate and stay stuck there. So we're going to use anchor thoughts and the five-second rule as a free tool that everybody can use. I've taught this to millions of people. This works. It's so simple. You're going to discount it. Promise me you're going to try this, though. I want you to come up with your thought. I'm going to show you mine. Your anchor thought is what you're, going, what you're excited to do when this is over. I am going to go home and see my parents, and I'm going to walk across that sand, and I'm going to swim in Lake Michigan. That is my anchor thought. This reminds me that this moment's temporary. This reminds me that life will go back to a new normal. And so what you do in combination with the five-second rule is when your thoughts start to drift and they start to pull you to the negative and you start to fear and be afraid, five, four, three, two, one, give yourself a mental And what happens is really interesting. When you have a visual of it, your mind attaches to it. And when you say the words, I'm excited, this is the most important part. And this comes from research at Harvard Medical School. Excitement and anxiety feel the exact same in your body. And your brain doesn't know the difference between excitement and anxiety. And so when you use the words, I'm excited to go to Lake Michigan, I'm excited to go to that restaurant and have drinks with my girlfriends, you're reframing the anxiety that your body feels and you're giving your mind a vision to anchor down on 
and your whole body stabilizes in a matter of a second or two. It's crazy and it works. So great. Mel, I think this has just been so tactical and I so appreciate that. Can I say one more thing? I would love it. It's an opportunity for you to learn one of the most important skills in the planet and that's emotional resilience. All great leaders have this. Emotional resilience is the ability to face uncomfortable circumstances, crisis and change and to be able to be strong and to cope with it. And the way that you learn how to cope with it is you don't run from the discomfort. You stand and you hold the space for it. You move through the feelings and then you make decisions based on your values and on empowering the people around you. And this situation is going to turn you not only into a better parent, a better partner, a better person, it's going to turn you into a better leader too. Amen, sister. I can't imagine a better way to end on this. Thank you so very much for your generosity and time. I so appreciate Mel's vulnerability. I get a sense that she's been through a lot and she's not willing to let that journey go to waste. She so readily shares so that we can all benefit. I'm grateful. Stay tuned for season two of Own It from Women Lead Change in the spring of 2021. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. More information and tickets can be found at wlcglobal.org.